to get divorced without getting screwed. A podcast for men who are thinking about divorce in the middle of one now or are recovering from this horrible process. You will get advice from experts and hear inspirational stories of men just like you who have survived divorce. Now, let's get to work. Welcome back to the show. I'm John Nockinger, the men's divorce coach and mentor. For information about our free men's divorce support group, go over to mensdivorcenetwork.com. Today, my guest is Judith Weigel. She is the owner of Divorce Resource Incorporated, a company devoted to helping people resolve their divorces amicably. Speaking of amicable divorces, she's the host of the Amicable Divorce Expert Podcast, which I had the high privilege to appear on. She uses that platform to provide the public information on turning a time of difficulty into a time of new beginnings. She also talks about celebrity divorce, which I love and I suspect a lot of you love it too. Given that she talks about celebrity divorces on her podcast, it will come as no surprise that her office is located right in Beverly Hills, California. Today, we're going to talk about divorce mediation, how you can use it effectively to resolve your divorce, keep emotions down, and most importantly, keep all of your hard-earned money that doesn't need to be going to pay for some attorney's lifestyle. You can find out more about Judith and get access to a ton of resources, including a really nice list of books that I just was going through and other materials at divorceresourceinc.com. Thank you so much for being here today, Judith. It is absolutely my delight, John. I was truly looking forward to today. I was too. I really enjoyed our last conversation that we had and was really looking forward to having you back on because I can think of no one better to talk about divorce mediation, what it is and what it isn't, and the benefits of it than you. You've been doing this quite a while. In fact, how long have you been doing divorce mediation? Uh, nine and a half years. Nine, yeah. September of next year will be 10 years. Well, that's good. I'm sure there's been a lot of people in that 10 years that have been really helped by uh, having an amicable divorce. We've had some interesting mediations. Each one is different, as you know, since you do mediation. Everyone is different, and you have to be on your game, which means as a mediator, you cannot be judgmental. You cannot think that you know the answers to their settlement issues before the mediation even starts. You know, we interview people before the mediation. I like to give people their own time. Uh, one-on-one on the phone so that I just know what they're expecting. I know how they think a little bit and I know their fears. So that's fine. But I think a good mediator has to constantly remind themselves that the second you think you know how to solve their issues, you have lost because something will always come up. Many things uh, uh, will come up that will be quite surprising to you as you're sitting and listening to people. And so listening is, is the skill of, of mediation, not only for the mediator to listen, but for the participants to listen. Well, to that is all so true, Judith. Um, you know, the whole, the whole goal of mediation is to let the people 
that are sitting in front of you find a solution to their problem. And to do that, you always have to listen. That's why sometimes attorneys, while there's a lot of attorneys that are mediators, sometimes it's hard for an attorney to be a mediator and even more so for people that were judges to become mediators because they have a tendency to wanna tell people what to do as opposed to listen. So you're so important to have that listening component. But let's let's take a couple of steps back. Um, for the listener who may have heard this concept of divorce mediation, um, but doesn't really, really understand what it is, um, in your own words, Judith, what do you consider mediation to be? Mediation is a conversation and a negotiation about the settlement. That's what it is. It's all about the settlement. It is not an argument. And we all have to work hard to get people to calm down, not argue, not be fearful. It is the opportunity they have different than sitting at the kitchen table or in the living room talking in the style that they're used to talking in. So nobody is taught conflict resolution skills, or at least people in our age group aren't taught that. Maybe they are in the schools now, but we don't have conflict resolution skills. So just think about when you go to a store and you feel that you your product doesn't work and you want to take it back and you have to have a conversation about it. It's always about blaming. It's always about you've done something wrong, therefore I am uh, disenfranchised somehow. And so people bring what they think a negotiation sounds like into the mediation room, but it's a very different conversation. So the first thing I try and get to people to do is just relax. Everybody's going to have their time to talk. I will manage that time for you. And I will make sure that if tensions get high, if we start result, uh, resorting to condescending talk, blame talk, victim talk, we have to get off that page because that really doesn't serve anybody in mediation. Use your mediator wisely. Let your mediator be your advocate when conversation goes off the rails a little bit and it ends up being a little more disparaging than it needs to be. And with that, if you can change the way you communicate, and sometimes, John, I jump in and say, listen, can I rephrase this? Can I say what I think you really want to say, in, but in a different way? And so I'll take turns being each person, and I will set the person up to accept what the ask is. And then always complimentary, of course. Thank you so much for doing everything you did in the marriage. Um, going forward, uh, this is what I would like to request. You know, something like that. It's hard because you're upset. Let's talk about if we can a second. I'm sorry, I don't mean to derail this, but when is it a good time to mediate? If, if being calm is the name of the game and not being disparaging is the ticket to getting somebody to your soon-to-be ex-spouse to accept what you're saying, when's the right time to mediate? You know, that's something to think about. That's something to think about, too, because, you know, I love mediation. And I think that in most cases it can work. 
But if you are raw emotionally, if this just happened, if, if, if you were just asked for the divorce, you can't go into a mediation room. I think you have to emo emotionally um, go through a little bit of a metamorphosis period. You have to accept that your life is changing. You have to go through those seven stages of divorce grief. And I don't know if you've hit forgiveness yet, but you at least have to get through not blaming, not being a victim. And look at this as maybe something you didn't want if you were the one being asked for the divorce. But if somebody wants to divorce, it's going to happen. And that's a really tough thing to accept. I was asked for the divorce. And when you're asked for the divorce, generally, I don't think it's a shock. I think it's a shock to hear those words. I almost passed out. I knew that I knew my marriage needed help. But just to hear those words is so devastating. It takes time before you jump into the filing. It takes time to heal the wounds and pick yourself up and be ready to have the talk about dividing assets. You don't want to have decision maker remorse. You want to be clear. You want to get legal advice, right? You want to make sure your ducks are in a row before you come into the mediation room. And even with that, even when you've done all that work, you still need a mediator who's sensitive that can make sure you're being taken care of, that both people are being taken care of and feel safe enough to just talk and negotiate. And <clears throat> divorce law, knowing divorce law of your state is absolutely essential so that when you ask for much more than the law provides, you know you're asking for much more than the law provides. But I learned a long time ago that the backdrop and the energy to the mediation really reflects why the divorce is happening and the tone of the marriage. And you have to be ready for that as a mediator um, because you're, you're going to hear about it. Somehow it's going to come out. And, and so you just have to be ready to manage that. And another thing about mediators, we all have to learn the law of our state. You know, mediation, I think it's the same in every state, John, tell me if it's this way in New Jersey. You don't have to take a test to be a mediator, do you? No. So people now are really trusting that you know what's going on in the laws of your particular state in order to be able to mediate. And so when I'm talking to people who are new in mediation and fascinated with family law, I say, please join the Bar Association, whichever Bar Association is close to you, and go to every seminar in family law. You need to know what your um, mediation participants need to know before they come in and start negotiating. And then everything they negotiate goes into a settlement agreement. And the settlement agreement is a contract. And it's a court order. And so whatever you agree to, if you're emotional when you agree to it, you're now bound to it. 
once the judge, once you both and the judge sign off on it. So this is serious stuff when you go into a divorce mediation. It absolutely is. And you just said a lot of things that I want to unpack about the process. One thing that, you know, Judith, when people start going through the divorce, uh, maybe they were just told that their partner wants a divorce and they're going through all of those stages of grief. One thing that's very confusing for a lot of people is where do I start? What's the first thing do, that I need to do? Um, I think a lot of people have been told incorrectly that you should run out, retain an attorney and you know go right to court, file something and do all of these things that um, most attorneys want to do because that's how a lot of attorneys make a lot of money in the divorce process. But when you're looking at one of these people who is just entering the process, what would you tell them is the first thing you should do? Should they contact you first? Should they maybe go have a consultation with an attorney? Should they go to therapy first to get their emotions under control? Like if you were to, if you were to get someone fresh off of learning that they were going to be getting divorced, how would you tell them to sort of sequence things to get to the point where mediation would be the most effective way to resolve their divorce? I would definitely give them referrals of family law attorneys that I have that will not fan the flames of litigation, that will simply give information so that you can go to mediation. And there are wonderful attorneys like that. Not all attorneys are created equal. You know, family law is, it's a pull for money. And if you don't get with the right attorney, you're going to end up spending money you absolutely don't have to spend. But you absolutely need legal information. And I always say, go to more than one attorney. Just so you can hear how attorneys apply law to your particular situation, because not everything is black and white. You know, some law is black and white, some law is gray and it's negotiable and it's depending on and there's a whole set of circumstances that have to be fulfilled like spousal support we call it spousal support in california um other other states call it maintenance other states call it alimony but it's kind of gray uh, being uh, married for a marriage under 10 years, it's pretty black and white and everybody loves that. Well, at least every mediator loves that because it's half the a spousal support is half the length of the marriage. That's easy. Um, anything over 10 years is called long term, but what's 10 years and five months? What's 11 years versus 25 years? We're talking about very different um, amounts of time. And so uh, the shorter it's over 10 years, the more negotiable it is. Okay, so definitely get legal advice. And there's nothing wrong with going to Google Law School. One of my clients called it Google Law School. But, you know, go on Google and be very specific in the Google toolbar and put your state in the Google search bar and start reading yourself and educating you. But then I also kind of hear how emotional they may be on the phone when we're talking. And I do ask, A, have you gone to couples counseling prior to marriage? If you've gone to couples counseling prior to marriage, you pretty much are set for the divorce. But maybe you need a one-on-one -on -one counselor to get you through the grief.
to get you to look at divorce as a new beginning. It doesn't come immediately. You, it's a little bit of a journey to get there, but definitely partnering therapist with legal advice is such a sound thing to do. And so there's two ways you go with attorneys though. You either can hire them on an ongoing basis, or you can just jump in and out when you need them and just pay them hourly as you use them. And I think that's pretty good um, to do it that way because then you don't have to pay for a retainer, which is anywhere from $2,500 to $5,000. And for some people, that's a lot of money to part with because your finances are like juggling balls in the air. You really, you know, you need to preserve your money at the beginning of a divorce. You know, what do you, what if you have moving costs? You know, you have a lot going on. But also there are divorce coaches. And that's the third component that's become an equal player to therapists and attorneys. And there is a difference between a therapist and a divorce coach. A divorce coach is, is there really to deal with all aspects of the divorce. As you know, you are a divorce coach. A therapist deals with the emotions and will take a look back on uh, your family tree sometimes just to evaluate and show you why your reactions are what they are now that the divorce is imminent. And that's different than a coach. And a coach isn't going to go back in time. A coach, and, and, and I would love for you to weigh in on this, John. Doesn't a coach start with present time going forward more than back in time? Yeah, we, we deal with what's in front of us now. What needs to happen going forward? Putting together a game plan. You're absolutely right. Therapy is, is backward looking, coaching is forward looking. Um, and that's that's definitely the case. But in terms of someone contacting your office, I mean, you're a mediator. So when someone contacts you, they at least have this concept that they want mediation. So you're saying that sometimes people contact you and you decide you're just not really ready for this yet. And that's when you will give recommendations and referrals out before you actually bring them in to start the mediation process? Not exactly. When people call me, here's the call I get. We want to get divorced by a mediator. Okay, that's incorrect. Mediators, if you're just a mediator, can't divorce you. In order to file in court, you have to be licensed to file in court. And being a mediator doesn't give you a license for anything. So look behind me. So I have a lot of plaques, right? Lots of training I've gone through, bar association training, other, God knows, training after training. But that still doesn't give you a certificate or a license to be able to file in court. So I, I'm also a legal document preparation company. So that's a paralegal on steroids. So I, I got my paralegal license first. And then in California, this isn't in every state. So in California, we have attorneys who can file. We have the people themselves who can file. That's a recipe for disaster, unless you want to devote your next year to understanding how to file in court. And then there's me, a legal document preparation company much lower in cost than having an attorney file. And if you don't need a hearing, if you don't need to go to trial, you don't need an attorney to file for you. 
You need an attorney to explain the law to you because I need to be in a neutral position both as a legal document preparation company and as a mediator. I have to hold my neutrality. And if I start answering legal advice questions, it will find favor with one person over the other at times. I've just taken myself out of a neutral position. I need to take the assumptive position when I finally go into the mediation room with people. Well, I will ask if they've gotten legal um, uh, legal advice because I need to then work with the law and move in and out of it depending on how it suits the clients. So. I explained to them, I'm both a mediator and I can file for you. Were you, is this a filing conversation and a mediation conversation? And that's when I find out whether they even need mediation or not. Sometimes they've worked out their settlement. They're ready to roll. They don't need mediation in that case. So great. Let's make an appointment. Let's come in. Let's start filing. But if they're not on the same page about some of their larger assets, and spousal support, like I enjoy when the higher word, the higher earning spouse says, you know, I just don't believe in spousal support. I can really, I'm, that's okay so that, if you don't believe that, in it. But if your right. other spouse believes in it, then it's a reality. <laughs> it's part of the law. It's not going to change. But okay, you've told me your position. So let's see what not believing in it means. Does it mean that what's mine is mine and yours is yours and we're just going to go on even though we've been married 15 years and I had you raise the kids and you haven't worked in that amount of time? Okay, that's, that's a conversation. Or does that mean I really don't want to do the monthly payments, but I'm willing to look at another uh, another way of compensating you for spousal support. So even though somebody may say, I don't believe in spousal support, I, let's see what that means. And so I need to get that person to talk. Now, if somebody's hyper emotional on the phone, no, it's not time to mediate. Now, what if they sound like they're ready to mediate? And okay, so when does mediation happen? That's another thing. Some people want to mediate before they file because they want all their ducks in order with what the settlement is going to look like, and then they want to file. Okay, that's fine. You still need legal advice, and you still need to be calm enough to be able to do this. Um, or are you so fearful of divorce that you need to see where your other spouse is at in terms of compromise, divorce is compromise. Unless you go to a hearing or a trial, divorce is an issue of compromise. And so I say that to people too. Are you ready to compromise? And we just have a conversation about it to see if they're really ready to do this. Because once the settlement is done and in the settlement agreement and it's time to sign, your life has now totally changed. It's gone from the concept of divorce to I'm going to be living the life of a single person. That's a big step. It is a big step. You just said something that I always find very interesting um, as, a, as a lawyer is when people will call for a consultation and they just want to know what would it look like if I got divorced? 
you know, oh. because they, they're they're so scared about, you know, maybe paying maintenance or alimony or spousal support, or they're afraid that half of the assets are going to be given to their ex-spouse, of course, forgetting that you're a marital unit and you're, you're amassing all of these things together. But I've always find it interesting, Judith, that people will decide whether or not they want to be happy and that they want whether or not they want to have these solid relationships, whether they want to let their children see what a good marriage looks like, all based on how much money am I going to have to give? Because I've had this conversation with so many people where I'm like, what do you think you're doing right now? I mean, you're married. Do you think your spouse is not spending money right now? I mean, it, what is it? What is it that's so concerning to you? Is it actually writing that check? Because financially, it's probably not going to be a heck of a lot different than you're doing right now. So I do find it interesting, based on one of the comments you just made, of how people will delay divorce until they feel comfortable that it's going to resolve the way they want it to resolve. And that's never a recipe uh, for success. I mean, I really feel like you make the decision you want to divorce, and then you compromise to get some kind of rational, reasonable way to get there. And you're done. If you're trying to make sure it's the way you like it before you're going to actually get divorced, you're just setting yourself up for a much more difficult divorce later on. So one thing that I want to talk to you about, though, Judith, is when people come into you and you've got one spouse that's so dominant that they're basically coming into mediation because they think that their submissive spouse is just going to roll over for everything for everything they want. How do you deal with that as a mediator? I separate them. I separate them when I see the power dynamic being so uneven. So what you set up was a, a, a version of a marriage. So there are marriages where one person is very dominant on any level. It doesn't matter what it is. And one person is submissive. Or there's a marriage where... Um, one spouse has their, their duties. And, and so one person will, will earn the money and the other person will take care of the family. And that's their duty, family management. Maybe both spouses work and, but maybe one spouse makes much less money than the other spouse. So you have to figure out what the dynamic is going into the mediation and you'll figure it out pretty soon or, or, or the spouse who um, feels that the power dynamic is overwhelming to them will let you know that. I, I do want to see what it's like. I do like having people start in the same room because I need to see how they communicate. I need to see uh, how they express themselves in the marriage. I stay in the mediation room as long as possible with both spouses until it's not possible, until I see the communication can't be resolved or I can't shift it in the direction it needs to go. Um, so I have, I, my suite is large enough that I, I have two rooms and I will put people in each room. And I think people like it. And you know, I, I was reluctant to do that. I learned the transformational way when I started out and if you can keep people in the same room talking and 
it stay on an equal basis, great. Because as a mediator going back and forth, shuttle diplomacy, we call it, caucusing is another word for it. Um, when I'm going back and forth, I can't repeat what one person says in the way they say it. If it's derogatory, I would never do that. Or if somebody's sharing something that happened in the marriage, and this is why I'm asking for what I'm asking for, I'm reluctant to carry that example into the next room because now it's he said, she said. And I don't want to get in the middle of he said, she said. It's just about what do you want in this asset division? What do you want in spousal support? What do you want in child support? It's that going forward. So yes, as a coach, you are present day going forward. As a mediator, you're present day going forward. This is about decision making. And all I want to know is what you would like me to carry into the other room as your decision. You can give me your logic behind the decision, that's good, but I don't want to recreate a situation that happened in the marriage because the other person will inevitably say, well, that's not the way it really happened. And that may not be, and, and, and that person may be right. You know, when we're recreating situations from the marriage, we're looking at it from our point of view. And the words we use are coming from our their point of view and it's not the other person's point of view so when i have a huge power imbalance um if 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 the person who's not at the top of the imbalance says to me i really would rather not do this in the same room i have to honor that yeah that's that's really difficult and it kind of begs the next question judith which is a lot of people don't come to mediation because they think, okay, I think I feel like my husband's a narcissist, which of course we, I think you and I have both probably heard a million times, or my wife's bipolar or whatever. And so they they kind of come to the opinion of I have to get an attorney, I have to go down the traditional route because my spouse is, you know, we don't get along, we came and talk to each other, we can't do anything with each other. Do you feel that there is any case that you could not? with all the training that you have, maybe there needs to be caucusing, maybe not. Is there any case you can think of where mediation could not resolve most, if not all, of a divorce? Sociopathic, constant lying, worse than a narcissist, zero empathy. So I'll tackle most anything initially because you don't know. Um, you could have, and I'm so happy you brought up high conflict personalities or personality disorders. I'm, I'm so happy you brought it up because they're pervasive. They're everywhere. I mean, not every single person is, but I mean, when you're looking at divorce, stuff has happened. And so in this stuff has happened narrative, you know, maybe stuff has happened because one person doesn't have the ability to be in a couple, doesn't have the ability to be empathetic, doesn't have the ability to give their partner what their partner needs. So, okay, now they're getting divorced. That's fine. I will try anything, but there have been, I don't even think more than five times, but I think if I really thought about it, at least five mediations, Oh, I can think of two right now. 
Then I turned it over to an attorney mediator, not to an attorney to litigate, but an attorney mediator. So in the, in the world of mediation, we're not supposed to make decisions for our clients. We're supposed to put our clients in, in, a, in a conversation so that they can negotiate what works best for them. If they are stuck, and these are people who can negotiate. If they are stuck, see, Judith, this is why we're here. We've always gotten to this. Our backs are against the wall or there's a brick wall and we can't get past this. That's the mediation I love. Because now you're asking me to participate in creative brainstorming. And so I can bring examples of other couples to the table that had a similar situation that seemed impossible to mediate and say, have you thought about this? Or this couple did that. Or there have been a couple mediations where I'm listening hard to what each person wants. And then I'll just say, let's just try this on for size. What if you did this? How would this work so that both of you could get what you want? And there are times that that absolutely works because it's a situation I've never run into before. They've given me a set of criteria that I've never worked with, but I love creative problem solving. I love brainstorming. And so I just love when I can present an idea that they can either accept because it solves their issues or they can use it as a launching point. Okay, that sounds good, Judith, but I'd like to do it this way. Great. If a different version of what I just suggested works for you, fabulous. The people that I've sent to attorney mediators are people that said, I know the law and I couldn't care less. This is what I want. Okay, so you're not right for me then because I can't do anything with this. You need an attorney mediator who will sit on the law and say, your only option is to go to court. And if you go to court and now they're the right person to lay out the scenario because they've been to court and they will know all the, all the things that can happen and maybe to show that person who's just intractable, you, they, they can't, they, you know, they just want what they want. Period. End of story. I couldn't care less. I've seen, seen those people many times as a divorce, a divorce attorney mediator. Um, one thing that's really interesting for me is when the people come into mediation and they just don't even know what they need to agree to. And so they're looking at you and they ask questions like, well, I don't know, do, do I have to pay alimony? Have you, have you been asked questions like that? And if so, how do you respond when somebody's just looking to you basically to tell them what they need to agree to? Because you know, people don't know what they need to agree to. I pull out a template of a settlement agreement an actual divorce settlement agreement, of course, washed with anybody's specific information. And in a settlement agreement, you have all these different sections that have to be addressed one way or another. And spousal support is one of those sections. Child support is another section. Community property, separate, pro well, separate property. Um, maybe they don't even know what they have that's separate property and debt. So those are the four sections that change with every divorce because they are about your specific assets and debts and your children. When 
I file for the couple and I mediate mostly for people I file for. Sometimes people will be filing with somebody else and just want to choose me as a mediator. But if I've started them in the filing, there's so after you file the petition, serve the respondent, file a response, send that to court. The second phase of the divorce are the disclosure forms. So do you have disclosure forms in New Jersey, a form that lists assets and debts, and you see what you have and what your values are, and you look to see what's community property, and then the financial statement that's used to start the discussion on child and spousal support. Do you have what we call disclosure forms? Yeah, we have something called a case information statement, but I will mm -hmm. tell you, that in the context of mediation, like we're discussing, where a mediator um, helps you put together an agreement, actually prepares the agreement itself that you can sign, and then helps you get divorced, um, the court does not require those that uh, case information statement to be filed at any point. Uh -huh. So um, I know for me, it's always very important that all everything that exists, all the assets, all the debt. Um, what the incomes of the parties are. I put all of that actually in the agreement and just put a paragraph in it that basically both parties are affirming that all the information contained in the agreement is everything. Um, and that's sort of the disclosure, but the court itself doesn't require disclosure when, when you're getting divorced uncontested in this way. So I know a lot ah. of states are like California though, where it's yeah. mandatory regardless, but there's yeah. a lot of states like New Jersey where, you know, you don't have to actually put anything under oath saying this is everything I have. Well, then how do you, John, know that they're disclosing everything they have? So a lot of times when people are coming in for mediation, it's situations where both parties are a little bit more on the same foot where they, they both know almost everything there is in the marriage. Uh, obviously, someone could hide something you wouldn't really know, but you know, if both parties are, let's say, W two employees, and there's no, you know, there's no businesses or anything. It, it's it's highly unlikely that someone's hiding something that's so substantial that it would really make a big impact. But really, what I tell them is, you know, the first thing I say in mediation is, this is honesty. If I find out either one of you are lying to me about anything, I'm terminating mediation. Period. Yes. So that we, so we're all on the same page. But it's just really, I mean, even those disclosure forms that you guys have to fill out in California, people can still lie on those. So at the, regardless of whether someone's disclosing or not, it is, everyone has to have faith that everyone's being honest. And you just have to make sure that the people are being, uh, are be, having to affirm that this is everything that they have so that later on, if somebody lied, the other party at least has an ability to go in a, to an attorney um, post-judgment and get right. some kind of relief. But I mean, as a mediator, and I'm sure you give the same speech, and I know it's in my retainer agreement for mediation, that I'm not an investigator. I'm not here to go off and make and verify everything that you have. We rely upon what the parties are telling us. And if either party's not comfortable with what their spouse is saying to them about what they have, then that's a situation where maybe there needs to be attorneys involved and maybe there needs to be some level of discovery and other uh, information gathering before mediation can be effective. But really, 
you know, it really requires that honesty. And, you know, sometimes people just don't trust their spouse and maybe they have really good reason not to trust their spouse. Well, yes, yes. Everything mediation is on the honor system, but these disclosure forms that we use, I'm in love with them. I, it's the hardest thing for people to fill out sometimes, but I just love them because with the asset and debt statement, you have to provide support documentation that verifies the existing value. And then there's a column on the asset and debt form called date acquired. And so that's the beginning date that this asset was started. And, and so to be a community property asset or a community property debt, um, it, it is anything purchased from date of marriage to date of separation with monies we've made on our jobs. You know, other than a prenup agreement that will change everything. But, you know, without prenup, it's anything purchased with monies we've made on our jobs from date of marriage to date of separation. That's where your community property lies. And so I rely on these forms uh, when I go into a mediation and, and I say, OK, so let's start with let's look at what the community property is and let's see what you both want to do with each each line item. And what if it's stock? What if um, what if the mediation doesn't take place for months uh, after we've served the respondent with the petition? And what if there's been a, a big stock market um, correction? So the 401ks are different. Uh, cryptocurrency is different. <laughs> um, if you've invested in Tesla, that's different. So things do change. Um, and, and so we have to keep up with that and see where they want to be with the change. And debt changes too. What if they just paid a chunk off on their debt? And now that's diminished. So I love the fact that there's support documentation to establish uh, value of the assets and the debts. And I rely heavily on those. Then the financial statement. Uh, we have to use those to calculate child and spousal support. We are all obligated, anybody who does any filing for in family law for people, and there are minor children, we are absolutely required to run this software program that has the worst name known to mankind. It's called the DISO Master. DISO <laughs> for dissolution. Master, because it is the master brain. DISO Master. We are required to run that for child support. I am so happy that we are because now you've just calmed down the discussion. This is a guideline number that the state says is a starting point. You do, if you both don't want to accept that number, you don't have to. It's fine. If you have another number that you like, that's fine. But at least it's a starting point. And for spousal support, the same thing. It, e it either calculates, it calculates, I'm sorry, both temporary and permanent spousal support. Temporary spousal support is a little higher, about 15% higher than the number that goes into the settlement agreement because it assumes that the spouse who's receiving it is going to need a little extra money to kind of reestablish his or her household in the interim. And then it's 15% less, so there's a key that you hit, and it gives you a little bit less number, smaller number, uh, that then you will have to um, use for the settlement agreement. And together, if those two numbers, child and spousal support, 
aren't enough to satisfy your monthly budget, which is page three of that four-page financial form, now we're talking real life. So what happens in, a media, in my mediations, and I'm sure many people in California, we rely on page three. Each person is supposed to put down what their monthly budget is going forward. Either uh, line items that won't change just because you're getting divorced, your car payment isn't going to change. Your cell phone payment isn't going to change. There are things that aren't going to change because you're getting divorced. And then there's things that are going to change because you're getting divorced. And we exchange these disclosure forms between spouses before we get to mediation. So they, well, we think they've looked at them and we <laughs> think they're conversant with them. I've had people come into mediation and say, oh, we were supposed to read them. <laughs> yes, because you're the one that knows more than anyone if your spouse is accurately writing anything down. And so, you know, to your point, John, you're, you know, you're not researching. Uh, you're not a private detective. You're accepting what they have on their forms. And this is what you're going to work with. But you each know the veracity, the truthfulness, the accuracy of what each other is writing down. And, and I need you to speak up. And Again, I go back to we don't have conflict resolution skills. So I just did a disclosure exchange between two people last week. And the one person said, well, if I don't think something is accurate, should I contest or should I, I forget what the other inflaming word was. <laughs> um, but I said, no, it's neither. You simply ask for a little more information to support these numbers. That's all you do. And, and he said, oh, okay. So it's even with that, you have to train people. But um, yes, so now we run the DISO Master. We get those numbers for support. And, and now here's what shows up. And this is something everybody has to be sensitive to. What if you have extremely high debt? What if you have lived well beyond your means? To the point where if you make all of your minimum payments on all of these credit cards, you don't have any money left over. That's the hardest of all situations. Now what are you going to do? I remember I had a mediation between these two people and she knew they were overspending. She was a stay-at-home mom. The kids were adolescents or no, I think eight and nine or six and eight, something like that. She had no clue no clue how many credit cards were out there, how many store credit cards versus the MasterCards, the Visas, Discover, Amexes, et cetera. And I said, okay, so we don't run debt in the DISO Master. There's things we don't put in the DISO Master. It works on what you would put on an income tax statement. If it's not tax deductible, it doesn't go on. Well, credit card bills aren't tax deductible. And so... It, it is a harsh reality when you run the DISO master, you give them their guideline numbers, and then you look at what their monthly budgets are and what the take home is, and there's nothing to go around. And this one person I asked that I'm referring to, I just said, I'm just going to ask to ask, have you considered bankruptcy? 
this may be the only way then please speak to a bankruptcy attorney of course i'm not you know i'm not skilled in bankruptcy but i mean it's there for a reason and maybe not everything can be charged off but maybe you can get some breathing space and he was completely opposed to it and now you're talking about financial infidelity there is actually a term called financial infidelity um, and certainly financial irresponsibility. There are some people that, I mean, money is a drug or people that just don't, don't have the ability, at least without counseling, to live within their means. And divorce is all about money. So you need to deal with this issue of overspending in order to craft some type of agreement. And then to the wife, you have to think about getting a job now, like immediately, because this isn't going to change in the short run. Like even if, even if he was open to bankruptcy, there's still not a lot of wiggle room here because there's some, there's some personal loans that don't get discharged in bankruptcy. Oh, it, it was really a very, very tough mediation. And the podcast episode I'm up, uploading uh, for this Wednesday is about financial discipline equals financial freedom. And I had to wrap my head around that personally at a certain point in my life because for some reason, spending money made me feel rich. Giving somebody my credit card or cash, which was so not the right way to think. And I had to get myself in line because I wanted financial freedom. I, I didn't want to be scared that if I didn't, and this was before I got into this business, you know, if I didn't have this job, what was going to happen to me? Um, do you run into that a lot when people have lived beyond their means? And what do you do in a mediation? How do you help them? Yeah, it frequently happens. And it's really difficult. I mean, in New Jersey, where I'm an attorney, we don't have guidelines for alimony, which means people fight all the time about those numbers. And I do think that divorce really makes reality come crashing into a lot of people because forget, forget about the debt. A lot of times people, you know, when you start to think about the fact that we need two apartments and we need two apartments to have a certain number of, of bedrooms, or we need two houses with a certain number of bedrooms. And we had one before just by doing that, people are already struggling financially before you even get into debt and all the other things that are going on. I mean, a lot of times, you know, you were just talking about like a stay-at-home parent. Yes, the first thing I tell any stay-at-home parent is go get a job. And whenever they tell me, but that's not what our lifestyle was, I, I just roll my eyes. And I'm like, I understand, but you were married. Now you're not going to be anymore. But sometimes when you do that, there's childcare that maybe didn't exist before. So, you know, if there's so many things, reality comes crashing in to people when they're going through a divorce, which is why sitting down in mediation, like you've just been describing, Judith, is so important. 
And it's such a better way of resolving this because you can sit down and have an intelligent conversation about creative problem solving and saying, here's our pot of money. Here's where we can both cut. Here's where we can't. Here's how we need to divide this. Because particularly if you've got kids, I mean, I don't know about you, Judith, but I don't think either parent should have a much, you know, the kids shouldn't be much better with either parent. So, you know, you've got to figure out how to make it work in a way that is fair to both of them. Um, I will tell you, I'll make a, I'll make a little news on this podcast. Um, I'm actually going through a divorce right now. And um, it, it's, it's interesting. And I know you've been through one before, Judith, but it's interesting whenever you actually um, see this from the other point of view, from the point of view of, you know, the people that are sitting in front of you for mediation, or in my case, a client yeah. um, or divorce um, coaching client, because you realize that, you know, a lot of these decisions about how you're going to deal with money after a divorce are extremely difficult because they are you know, all that emotion is still bleeding in. Even if you feel like you've, you know, even if you feel like you've kind of gone through the emotions and you're ready to try to resolve things, it still is difficult. And, you know, knowing that you've been living your life and you've been spending money like crazy using a credit card, because, you know, most people don't think credit cards are real money, just spending on credit cards. It's really difficult to sit there and realize now you've got to pay the piper. It's very similar to, you know, eating like eating like crap and not exercising for 10 years and then realizing that you've gained a ton of weight. You know, it, it you created the situation. And so one thing that I think is really important in mediation is making sure everyone takes responsibility for the situation they're in. Because, and I'm sure you've seen this, a lot of times everyone wants to blame the other person, which I know is backward looking, which is not something we want to do in mediation. But, you know, Oh, they spent all this money. They did this. They did that. You know, oh, they should keep this debt because, you know, they bought all those clothes. Instead of just realizing that both of you made decisions during the marriage, both of you are where you are right now. So it is very difficult. But I do think if you sit down and do the budget the way that you've been describing, and every state does this differently, um, and people all across the country are hearing this podcast and every state's a little bit different. So the way that Judith's been describing this, it's going to it's going to happen a little bit differently in your state, but the principles are the same. The, the ideas are the same. And this is why if you sit down and you're able to sit there with your ledgers, with your budgets and have this reasons conversation, you're going to get a much better result than if you go to court and you just have some judge pick a number out of the air because that's what a lot of judges do. I mean, they come up with reasons, but they pick a number and they force it on everybody. And now everyone's making How is spousal support determined in New Jersey? Ah, it's a wonderful, wonderful answer I have for you. We have a list of 13 factors and those factors sort of just are supposed to go into a, a completely subjective analysis of what the number is supposed to be without a software without a software program kind of assisting okay so we have 24 oh. factors no there's no That's software. I said earlier i said god we love people who have been married less than 10 years so easy half the length of the marriage and then we have the software program uh that after we plug in some of your financials it'll spew out a number 
But, oh, God, that feels like the Wild West. It, it is. And we don't have even a duration. The only rule that we have, and this is relatively new. We just changed our alimony law a couple of years ago. And people wanted a formula. They wanted a formula both on duration and on amount. But the divorce attorneys fought it and ultimately won that battle. We can figure out why. Yes, exactly. So now the only rule we have is if you're married 20 years or oh. less, the length, of, the duration of alimony cannot exceed the length of your marriage. That's it. That's the only rule we have when it comes to alimony. There is no formula. There are, of course, there's informal formulas that people use to kind of start the conversation because otherwise you would be lost. And of course, those formulas have changed since the tax deduct deductibility of alimony. Oh, right. A couple, of, two, three years ago, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. years ago now. But child support, every state has child support guidelines, which usually makes child support, assuming the incomes are not in dispute, uh, child support's typically the easiest thing to um, pin down just because there's a program that tells you what it is. Yes. You know, but commensurate to the DISO master. Yes. I, I mean, I love, I love those. A couple things. Even if you think, that you have yourself in check emotionally. Enough time has gone by since the divorce conversation happened and now you're ready to file and then thereafter you're in a mediation room. There are going to be things that are going to trigger us emotionally. There just are. It'll be less because you've processed the grief. I mean, it is grieving. I remember a phone call, and, and this, this is about accepting reality. I remember a phone call I got last year from a woman who had just been served divorce papers. And she called me uh, saying, I'm in such shock, I can't believe it. And she was sobbing. This was hugely emotional for her. And she said, I never saw it coming. We had the perfect marriage. And there were, I think, two or three children involved, minor children. Mm. And so when anybody tells me that, I don't argue it. I would never do that. I don't know you. You just called me. But I kept the conversation going. And the longer you can get somebody to talk, at least one-on-one, -on -one, the more reality will come out. And then what came out was they had been to couples counseling for a while. It hadn't worked out. There had been affairs. So, no, it wasn't the perfect marriage. What she was really saying, and this is why you have to be an interpreter of the emotional languages that, that people give you. What she was really saying is we didn't have the talk that targeted when we would file so that we would both be emotionally ready to do it. She was just shocked because he hadn't said, by the way, I just hired an attorney and we're filing. So, okay. So now reality, now I had the reality that I needed because nine times out of 10, you know, the marriage isn't working out. In my case, I knew we had issues. I knew we had to address things, but in my mind, you go to counseling first, 
You know, you have the talk, you go to counseling, you decide whether this is the right thing for you, staying married, getting divorced. You, you, you see if you can work things out. And then if you can't, you get divorced. I just wasn't ready for, I want a divorce without any other conversation attached. I organically started going into self-care mode. No blame. I knew there were issues. No blame. Uh, not angry at you. I need to take care of myself so that this can be the you know as good as it can be getting out of this. I don't hate you. We're human beings. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. Um, not every marriage can last. We may think it's the right thing to do when we get into it, but this is something that if I'm not working for somebody, I, I like to ask these questions or after the, the divorce is final or after we've signed off on the, on the, on the um, settlement agreement and I'm ready to file it, I get to have different conversations with my clients than when we're going through it all. And I really like to know, because I'm just interested in human emotions, a, were there any warning signs before you got married that you just pushed aside because the idea of getting married was that appealing? Maybe there were more pros than cons. Um, what happened on the wedding night? This is one of my favorite conversations because my, my thinking, and this is just my thinking, is that the wedding night is a really important night. It either pushes the relationship to this next wonderful level, or it's not anything like you anything like the wonderful night you thought it was going to be. I don't think it's much in the middle. And that wedding night, I think, is your determining factor of what's going to happen coming up. I, it's just did did you ever have that conversation with anybody or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this this whole concept of the warning signs before someone's married um, that that there might be issues down the road is something a lot of people don't take uh, too much ownership of because they they want to believe that everything was perfect back then and that something's happened during the marriage. A lot of times people blame the other person saying, you know, they've changed. But you're right. I mean, listen, marriage is wonderful, but also not everyone's meant to be married forever. And everyone, people change in their lives, you know, particularly people that get married in, when they're really young, you know, like the 20s. You know, you're very different in your 40s and 50s than you are in your 20s. And people change. And I think if you sort of can understand that marriage is not a failure, and that there, it doesn't always have to be somebody who's the evil person who caused all of this. Right. Sometimes marriage just ends. You can enter into mediation and all these processes without having all of this blame. Because it's our human nature to want to blame somebody else for you know, where the situation we find ourselves in. And I'll tell you, a lot of times... Um, I see this a lot with my divorce coaching clients because I only coach men is that they're 
their wives have maybe been thinking about divorce for years. So by the time they get to the point where they tell their husband, I want a divorce, they've actually gone through this, this whole process you've been talking about, Judith, where they're actually ready to work on their settlement because they've already gone through this entire emotional journey to the point where they're ready. And yeah. now their husband who, you know, just maybe, heard. Yeah, just heard and is telling themselves, oh, I didn't know there was an issue, which you and I both know is a bunch of BS. They they just didn't want to accept that there was something that was going on. They now have to have some time to process things. And I think that's where a lot of divorces get off the rail is when one person is has been thinking about it for a long time, is ready, and then the other one feels like it was taken, you know, it came out of left field. And so they're really upset and you're trying to pull them along with you. You're trying to pull them down the road and they need time. And I will tell you in my personal situation right now, the one thing that um, we decided to do was to go to, um, it, we're calling it couples therapy, but we're not trying to work on the marriage. The whole point was just to have an outlet to control the emotions during this process. Um, we have a child to you know make sure that our communication skills don't go down you know down the deep end while we're going through this process and it's not something i've ever recommended to a single client but as i was sitting here i was like i think that would be a good idea for us to every week go sit down with somebody and just have have that safe place to talk about things not to save the marriage but just to continue to be able to cooperate. And I think that's where people get lost. Communications where it goes off the rails all the time. Yeah. When people don't know how to communicate or um, you have them in two separate rooms, Judith, and basically they're relying upon you to tell their spouse everything now because they just don't even want to talk to them. It's so hard when you've got a kid. I'm like, what are you guys going to do? Judith is not going to be there every day to, to pass notes back and forth, guys. You have to learn to communicate. And that's why I, I really hope everyone listening that's going is thinking about going through a divorce um, or maybe is already in the middle of divorce because you can go to mediation at any point. Just because you started with an attorney doesn't mean you can't go to mediation. That's right. It, it's so important that you understand that everybody can go to mediation. Don't tell me your case is too complicated. Don't tell me any of that stuff. Everyone can, uh, can use mediation. The only thing I say this to everyone all the time, the only thing I need from you and your spouse is honesty. And I need you both to be motivated to keep emotions down and keep more money in your pocket. If you guys can agree on those three things, it doesn't matter if you don't agree on anything else. That's my job. My job is to help figure out where we can get you to an agreement. See, this is why I love talking to other mediators because you refresh me. I, you know, I, we all fall into little patterns, but I like that you've said several times that honesty is extremely important because without honesty, your settlement isn't going to stick. You know, you may write things down on paper and it is shocking how many people couldn't care less that they've signed a contract and it has terms. And down the road, they just simply don't like the terms and they're going to change them. There's a lot of people like that. So honesty is extremely important. And you are not the only mediator that who has said, if I find out you haven't been honest, I'm out. 
I, I don't want to preside over it. I, I, I need to build that back into me. But you also said something else extremely important, and that is invariably one spouse is going to be thinking about divorce first or will talk about it first, but, but maybe really think about it uh, as a real thing. And how am I going to tell my spouse? And when they're ready, when they've gotten themselves emotionally ready to speak about it, that's fine. Now you need to let your other your spouse come up to, to where you are. You can't just say, okay, well, I'm ready. Let's go. What are you dragging your feet for? What do you mean? Oh, you always do that. Come on. You know things weren't right. And maybe, maybe he or she did. But the reality of hearing those four words, I want a divorce, those are really important four words. Those are harsh words. You're cutting to the quick of somebody, even though they also may know, you know, we're, we're, we're not doing, the, we're not flourishing in this relationship. We need a change. You do have to take a breath and let them come up to speed. Now, what if you're dealing with somebody that takes years to come up to speed? Okay. <laughs> so here's what I do. Seriously, I do have these conversations with people. Well, you know, he, he or she knows it hasn't been working out. And this is what they always do. They say they need more time. They say they need more time. And so I say, well, why don't you negotiate an amount of time then? Why don't you look at amount of time, maybe six months? Is that a a comfortable amount of time? Is anything going to dramatically change financially? Is somebody needing to move? Is there is there a big shift that may take place in your relationship in the next six months? If so, okay. But how long did it take you? That's the other thing I asked. From the time you said, I need a change. This relationship isn't helping either of us. When was that and how long did it take you to get to this point? Maybe you can at least allow that person that much time because did you go through the grieving? Are you not a victim? Are you not blaming? Are you forgiving? Which is the end of the grieving period. You have to be able to forgive. And as we all say, forgiveness is for the person doing the forgiving. It's not to... Uh, get the other person off the hook for anything they may have done that caused some irreparable damage in the marriage. That's not what forgiveness is. They have to deal with that. But forgiveness is you're no longer blaming. You know, you're letting that person off the, the, the blame hook. And that's really important. So who had the first, who, who said it first in your situation? I did. And how long what kind of period of time was it for you before you got from the point of inception, that idea to having the conversation? Well, it's, you know, been thinking about it for a period of years, but it really crystallized, um, you know, a couple months ago. And, you know, it's, I didn't want to do what I've seen so many other people do. The second I knew that it was absolutely concrete in my head, that I have decided this is what I want, I immediately said it. So that, because I did not want to be like those people that wait so long to uh, let their spouse know, because it's really not fair. Um, I don't think it's fair to to do that because then, because then you end up just 
distancing yourself, becoming more isolated. You don't talk to your spouse. This is so important what you're saying. This is so incredibly important, John. There's a book, and this woman would love to be interviewed by by you. Her name is Judge Michelle Laurence, L-O-W-R-A-N-C-E. She was a family law judge in Illinois, in Chicago. And she wrote a book called The Good Karma Divorce. I loved it when I read it. And it's one of the books on my list. So I interviewed her. She's very generous with her time. Um, And for your audience, I think she would be perfect as well. But she said exactly what you're saying is your behavior is going to change. If you're the first one that's come to terms with this relationship is not going to last forever and it's not healthy for both of us, then your behavior is going to change. You're going to go in protective mode and your spouse is going to say, God, you're acting different. Is something going on? What's on? And they're going to think you're having an affair. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing when our behavior changes, it's the first thing we think about, are you having an affair? And that may not be it at all. You're just going into protective mode. It's natural. You know, we have this fight or flight syndrome that we go through when we are threatened and divorce even if we've come up with the idea, is a threatening idea to us. It's a shift in status quo, and it's one of the most important shifts in our lives. Yeah, it is, and I'm going to make sure that there's a link to that book put in the show notes because I think that sounds like a really good book for people to um, take a look at. But yeah, I mean, what's going to happen if your spouse thinks you're having an affair? They're going to start getting mad. And, you know, it just is going to create a much more difficult divorce for you, Um, whether it's true or not, because, you know, some people are convinced someone had an affair, even if they didn't, and no one's going to convince them otherwise. So, you know, don't don't make it more difficult on yourself. Divorce is already difficult. I mean, even using mediation, it's still difficult. You're you're changing your entire life. So try to make it as less difficult as you possibly can. Right. And and I love what you said that it is not a failure. It is not a failure. We are in a journey, if I may get philosophical. Our (laughs) whole life is a journey. And anything that happens to us, life happens for us, not to us. Byron, and I forget his last name, somebody named Byron with, uh, really was the one that coined this phrase. And then Tony Robbins, when I was watching his Netflix documentary on um, the way he does his, his, his um, multi-day seminars, A Date with Destiny, that's what they're called, A Date with Destiny. He used that phrase. I thought he invented it but it was a gentleman named Byron, somebody or other. Um, It's a journey. And if we can continue to look at our lives as whatever we're going through is to teach us, then we're in a pretty healthy frame of mind. So thank you for saying it's not a failure. It's not a failure. And when people want to say, you know, uh, so-and-so contributed more to the downfall of the marriage than I did, um, not to get therapeutic on them. But the one thing I do ask them is, are your, your, are your spouses or are your spouse's parents still alive? Did you get to know your spouse's parents? And if they did, what was their upbringing like? That's all I ask. 
And all of a sudden, it unlocks this key. Oh, my God. They're behaving now like their parents did. So what I've gathered from being friends and being in the networking organizations with therapists is just to be able to ask a question sometimes will reposition somebody's thinking so that they don't blame. Because you want to get that out of the equation. Yeah, that's absolutely true, Judith. Um, so I know that you are in California. Do you only mediate for people locally? Do you do any video mediation? Uh, who, who, who could contact you if they want to use well, your anybody can contact me if they want me to mediate because if you're in another state, and I've done a little bit of coaching for people in other states, well, I actually look at the laws of that state first. I need to know what you're going to have to deal with in order to be able to mediate for you in another state. But no, 99.9% .9 of the people I mediate for are definitely California-based. And, and some in Northern California, not necessarily Southern California. Um, Zoom. I like doing uh, like these interviews. I, I use Zoom uh, to do my own podcast interviews. I do like in office more than anything. I just love the energy of being right in front of somebody. I have done some Zoom mediation, so let me put some of the laws down, the, the Judy laws for me for mediating over Zoom. Those cell phones have to be turned off. <laughs> your emails have to be turned off. It doesn't matter what's going on in your business. You cannot receive phone calls and emails. You can go to the bathroom because you can go to the bathroom in the office. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you allowed the bathroom, Judith. We're allowed the bathroom. But listen, not to make people laugh, but I did a, a Zoom mediation earlier this year. Um, they, they weren't getting divorced. I had already divorced the husband and he now remarried. The new wife asked for the mediation and she moved out of the house temporarily and was living in uh, temporary quarters until the mediation took place. And if it concluded to her satisfaction, then she was going to move back in the house. Okay, fine. <laughs> so um, we did Zoom, and it, I don't think we did, had the vaccines like we have now. So people still wanted, were reluctant to come out. She didn't want to be seen on camera. So we had to have a dark screen for her, and he's on camera. And I said, no, no, I need to see you. I, I, we need to look at each other. We all need to look at each other while we're mediating. Why aren't you on camera? Because she was grocery shopping. She yeah. was multitasking. She wanted, okay. So, um, so no on that. No, you have to sit down, go to your car, go somewhere. We're going to pause now until you are actually focused on the mediation. And then there was another mediation where one of the participants uh, left camera to put their gym clothes on because they were going to work out after the mediation. And so why do I have to be on camera? Why can't I be changing clothes? I don't know. So you can focus. So you can give respect to your spouse who's giving their time to the mediation. So I, 
it's been, it's been kind of bizarre our new world where there's lots of video conferencing is i think people have become so much more informal with a lot of a lot of our uh, behaviors you know for example wearing a suit and tie with boxer shorts and stuff like it just you know i i think you should treat it with the formal with as much formalness as you would treat anything else and um, i will tell you i just did a mediation the other day where the two people i was mediating for they were on zoom but they were in the same place they were sitting right next to each other in their house was it was very, that turned out to be fabulous it did it turned out to be really good now i had to caucus a few times i had to tell one of them to you know go outside and walk around for a few minutes okay but it worked out just fine. So, you know, I think the the bottom line is there's not a right or wrong way to do mediation. Um, and if you go to a mediator that describes a process a little bit different than the way Judith, you just described the process or the way that I've been talking about the process, don't think that it's wrong because every mediator has their way of figuring out how to get right. you and your spouse to reach an agreement. So there's always a way to do that. There is but always I, a way to do it. But I really encourage everyone to go check out Judith's website, divorceresourceinc.com, right, .com. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there, including her podcast, which is really wonderful. And I think everyone listening will find something on there that will really appeal to them. I Thank put you. I put the the um the episodes in categories too, so that if you don't have minor children, you can go to a category. Or if if you really have a question about something specific, dividing a house, dividing a business, you can actually find a category for that, just to honor people's time when they want to do research. Well, and, and since you have so many episodes, Judith, that's really that really will save someone some time. <laughs> I don't want to scroll through a whole line of things if I'm interested in listening to somebody. And let me say again to your audience, I am so happy to have met you. I loved that you are a divorce coach for men. I worry about men in divorce mediations. I worry that because I'm not a man, I'm a woman, that they will think that I'm going to side with women. Uh-uh, I side with both of them. I want them to come to uh, whatever settlement works for both of them. But I do think men need a man to talk to a lot of times. And um, it, 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 even if you and I are saying the same things, I think it means something a little differently coming from a man to a man. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Terrific. Well, I appreciate it so much, Judith. And thank you for helping people resolve their divorces without spending all of their money. I, that is, it's something I'm passionate about. And um, when I see, when I see people that are maybe W2 employees with some kids, then they make 60 or 70 grand a year. Uh, I find out they just spent 20 or $25,000 on a divorce. Um, I feel it down to my soul that that is a failure on yes. the entire system that that even happened. But if we can continue to get the message out about divorce mediation and all these other resources you have, coaching, therapists, and all these other resources you can use to get yourself in a position to be able to use mediation more effectively, then I think we're doing what we need to do to make this process just a little bit better, as horrible as it is. Here, here. Thank you, well, John. Thank you so much for being here today, Judith. My pleasure. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. We'll see you next time.